Good evening, racers, and welcome to episode six of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined by my second place finisher, James Sterlings. Are you ready to race, James? Yeah, I'm pretty ready to race, Pat. I, I have been chilling out today, playing a much easier game than the one we'll be discussing today. Uh, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Very easy I completely, game. completely agree <laughs> it's easier. I, I was uh, playing a bit of Sekiro to take a break from F-Zero because it was too hard for me. But uh, more on that later. Uh, so here on the Retrospectors podcast, we look at old games through a modern lens. We're not interested in how good these games were in the context of their release. We want to know how good they are today when put side by side with more modern titles. Your time is precious, and we want to know which games have stood the test of time and are still fun and playable to this day. On each episode, James or I picks an old game, we alternate, and then we play it through to completion, or close enough, we kind of broke that rule today. We don't talk to one another about our experience of reflections, except in the most vague terms, until today, the day of the podcast. And that's in order for us to have a more genuine discussion. This week, James selected F-Zero GX, a racing game for the GameCube. So, Jimmy, why don't you tell us a little bit about this game where you go round and round in circles? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, but uh, not by much. F-Zero, as you said, is a GameCube game that was released in 2003. You play as Captain Falcon, a renowned bounty hunter who defends the universe from evil by winning races, and it doesn't get much more complicated than that. The game is extremely fast, that is probably the defining feature, and it is set mostly in space, so the track design is often quite twisty and turny. If you've played Mario Kart 8, it's similar to that, but a a bit more extreme, if you will. So I guess let's start off with, Patrick, how familiar are you with racing games? Did you play a lot of them growing up? I did not. Racing games are like one of the genres I've only dabbled in very uh, very casually. I did finish Need for Speed Underground 2 back in the day, which was released in 2004, but that's pretty much it. I've barely played the GTA games even. Uh, even games that I guess feature racing, I tend to avoid those features. I'm very much an amateur when it comes to this entire genre. Yeah, that's in quite stark contrast to myself. Uh, I am a religious Mario Kart player, play every game, and I don't just play the game, I play time trials and a lot of them. I will usually, on each game that comes out, get myself into the top 80th or 90th percentile for lap times on each track across the world, so I tend to play them a lot and I quite enjoy them. So, with that said, having not played that many racing games, how did you feel about the speed of the game, right? Because that's the that's the defining feature of F-Zero. F-Zero is a racing game set in space about going faster than is humanly possible in any kind of vehicle. You're going thousands of kilometers per hour, and this makes it quite different from a lot of racing games, especially Need for Speed, which you mentioned earlier. Jumping into something so fast, did you... Did you find it difficult to see what was going on on screen when you first started? So there's a couple of different levels to it. Your base speed as you go around is displayed on screen as being something like 1,000 or 1,100 kilometers an hour. And I don't quite believe that. I don't think you're actually going that much faster than in a regular racing game, at least from my limited experience. And part of that is the fact that the tracks are wider and longer. So the illusion, it's kind of an illusion that you're you're going that fast. 
However, there are two ways to go even faster. There are boost pads, which are scattered over the tracks, where if you run over them, you get a big increase in speed. And you also have your own personal booster that gets refilled by track pads that are also around the racetrack, usually two per track. And when I started using my personal booster and using the boost pads that are located on the tracks, it became very, very fast for me, um, faster than I could handle at first, which is, I'm sure, something most people go through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually completely agree with your assessment that the game, and I think it does a very good job of this, but it does create more of an illusion of speed than actual speed. A lot of this comes from the track texturing, I believe. Most of the racetracks have lots of little marks and nicks and lines constantly all over the track like every couple of millimeters there's a line across it and so because there are so many when you're going across them it looks like they're speeding past you and that you're going you know a million miles an hour across it there's lots of black and yellow arrows everywhere that accomplish the same thing and generally the tracks have been elongated so that you know even if you are going a bit faster the tracks are longer to compensate so overall it's not like you're weaving in and around the track constantly there's a lot of straight and narrow sections in the level design but i think it does a quite good job of tricking the player at least into thinking they're going a million miles an hour the numbers on the speed dial are super inflated to kind of match with this as well And that being said, it's not that you're not going extremely quickly, because when you start boosting, you are. It's just that you're not going perhaps as quickly as a speedometer might suggest. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of not-so-fast gameplay uh, is also helped by the earliest levels in the game, which generally are, you know, just big narrow straights and maybe one or two turns. They kind of ease you into the gameplay, I believe. Did you did you find that was the case or did you think it was difficult from the game? So we're talking about the um, the Grand Prix, right? When you say I uh, eased into the gameplay, right? Yeah. Because so... uh, <laughs> Grand Prix are very different from the uh, story mode of this game. Yeah, so the gameplay structure, I guess the kind of meta structure of the game is such that you buy story missions from the shop you unlock the first one when you begin the game and then you need to buy them with currency that you earn from doing grand prix which are you know sets of five tracks put together so the kind of the basic loop is you do a story mission then you go back and you grind some money in grand prix buy the next mission and rinse and repeat until you finish the story missions um so yeah that's not actually how it works in practice what happens in practice is you finish one story mission or two, if you're very lucky, then you do Grand Prix until you finish the Grand Prix. Is that how you played the game? <laughs> it is, because I found the story missions basically impossible. At least, even the second one I found basically impossible. I finished three Grand Prix before I finished even the second mission. And then I went back to the second mission and got stuck on the third mission. What you're saying is basically that you were procrastinating doing the story by playing a different part of the game, right? I um, I think, yeah, I, I was completely stuck and frustrated. So I went to the content which I felt I could actually accomplish. And did you accomplish it much easier than the story mode? How did you feel about the Grand Prix themselves? So I started all the way on novice difficulty. There are 
four difficulties available for each Grand Prix, with the top one being locked until you complete the hardest one, Expert. And I started all the way on Novice, so I'm basically easy mode. And I think that the experience of completing each Grand Prix sequentially was actually pretty reasonable and not too hard. I will say that when it got to the third Grand Prix, I started to have serious troubles. The first two Grand Prix, I was able to progress through, I think, at a steady clip. I got stuck on the third Grand Prix for quite some time. Yeah, so I started on the standard difficulty, and I found the first one to be very easy. The first three tracks of the first Grand Prix I found kind of okay, and then the last track of the first Grand Prix has a lot of twists and turns, and it's actually one of my favorites now. And then on the second one, it, it got a little bit harder, but I, I like the, the overall track selection of the second Grand Prix a lot more. But the final race of the second Grand Prix is called Serial Gaps, and it is called this because there's a lot of places in the level that you can fall off the map. And that's something that happened to me a lot during this game. I fell off the map hundreds of times while playing F-Zero. And not only that, but in other kart races like Mario Kart, for example, you fall off the map and something will pick you up and put you back on the track. That is not the case in this game. In this game, if you fall off the map, you have to start from the beginning. Did you did you run into one of these roadblocks at any yeah, point? It's um it's particularly uh, frustrating because when you go into the practice mode, if you fall off the track, something comes and picks you up and drops you yeah. down. So it's not like it's not something that they considered or that isn't in the game. It's just that they want to do a live system. So you get five, four or five attempts at a Grand Prix, and when you run out of lives, Grand Prix's over. So my difficulties started really coming to bear not in the track you mentioned but in one called half pipe uh which as the title suggests is a half pipe yeah it's the first real track with no railings i think there's one section of the entire track that has railings and then the rest has no railings at all and you have sloped walls so all it takes is one slightly badly timed turn and you go flying off the track to your death yeah so i did that map in practice mode like I did like six laps on it because this game's the tracks are quite difficult later on. So I usually, before I started a new Grand Prix, ran through each track a few times in the practice runs um, just because getting to the end of one and then falling off three times, uh, getting to the end of a Grand Prix that is, and falling off three times and then having to restart the entire thing, which is quite long. You know, it takes maybe 20, 30 minutes to do an entire Grand Prix. If you've spent that 20 minutes and you fall off, I found it quite punishing. I actually really dislike that aspect of the game. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm perfectly happy to do the whole track again if I fall off, but completely quitting back to the main menu if you fail three times, I just think is completely unacceptable. Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of torn about this. I So what I do like about the system is that it doesn't give you unlimited retries. I mean, the whole idea of a Grand Prix, as I see it, it's testing your ability to complete all five races. So what that means is that if there wasn't a system like that in place, you could just keep continually retrying track number four until you got a result that you liked. So I actually completely agree with this sentiment. I don't think you should be able to, you know, 
infinitely retry tracks until you get first place every time. But I think there were better options for the developers, right? Like, maybe if you fail three times on a track, you like you get automatic last place on that track and you move on to the next one. I think that would have been much better. It's still really punishing for the player, which kind of meets the game's overall themes of, you know, being a death race in space. But it doesn't waste the player's time, almost, which I really find kind of unappealing. Or maybe every time you fell off the track, it subtracted points from your overall tally and then let you retry. So if you retry too many times, you won't have enough points to win the overall cup. I would have been fine with that as well. Yeah, so so I, I guess on this, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think that the game is incredibly punishing in other areas for other reasons. But I don't actually hate this sudden death system because I don't mind that it's punishing in the context of completing a series of five races. I think it is a fine thing and it made me play very carefully and created a good risk reward system for me. So as punishing as that is, I didn't mind it. But I also never played on anything above standard difficulty. So perhaps it gets a bit more frustrating as your opponent races get faster and faster. Yeah, so one of the things that becomes more apparent on the higher difficulties... So for context, I only ever beat two of the Grand Prix on Expert. On the higher difficulties, the enemy AI becomes much more aggressive. In this game, there is a button that lets you do an attack that knocks a racer to the side. And in the higher difficulties, many times I had the instance where an enemy would shoot up beside me and then knock me off the stage, instantly killing me. And that was extremely frustrating, and I didn't really progress through much of the game on the higher difficulties because of that. Yeah, so with my, I guess my strategy on the Grand Prix was to get ahead of the pack and maintain my lead. Um, yeah. And. I hated the initial scramble because I found that doing attacks of your own were often detrimental, even for the one or two times they succeeded. So that initial scramble when there's races on all sides of you, yeah, I would get knocked off and die. But I found that once I got ahead of the pack, I was fine. And, you know, any deaths from that point onwards, I felt I owned them and they were my mistakes that I made. So... I agree, though, if you are playing on the high difficulties and the enemy races are keeping pace with you better, constantly dying to them would be frustrating. Yeah, so something I don't expect you to have picked up on is in games like Mario Kart, when you do a Grand Prix, generally the game will pick out, you know, 8 to 10 enemy races for you to race against throughout the entirety of the Grand Prix, right? Um, mm -hmm. In Mario Kart in particular, it's incredibly obvious that a small handful of these AI, maybe two to three, are much better than the rest of them and will consistently come in, you know, first, second or third place throughout the entire Grand Prix. So what this means is to win the Grand Prix, you need to average place better than the good AIs, right? Whereas yep. in F-Zero, all the AIs are equal and there's lots of them. There's not just 10, there's like 30. And an AI can, you know, it can come first place and then next race it'll come in last place. Like, there's a very high variance on the placings of the AI in F-Zero. And what this means for me is you can come fifth every single race in the Grand Prix and still come first overall 
if the variance kind of works in your favor with the AI's placings. Um, I'm not sure if you noticed that, but it was very obvious to me. So in my novice run through, I came first in every single race. Yep. In my standard playthrough, I came first in the fir- in every single race in the first three Grand Prix, and I came first in the first three races of the Diamond Grand Prix, the fourth one. And then yep. I came to like fourth and eighth. So it wasn't really something I noticed until that very, very final Grand Prix where I, where there was someone like six points behind me at the end of yeah. it and I breathed <laughs> a sigh of relief that I had finished. So it was so close. Yeah, one of my big strategies, especially on the later Grand Prix, was do as well as I could on the maps where you weren't at risk of falling off and then on the maps where you were at risk of falling off just finish the level don't don't get too risky with your boosts um just kind of like stay in the middle and you know if you come 12th in one of those it really doesn't matter as long as you've got a few first places anywhere else Um, i wish i had your self-discipline because i can't do that you give me the opportunity to go fast and I will take it. I might be 10 seconds ahead of the next racer, and I'll still want to go faster. You know, I've got a funny story for you. I've played this game before once in my life for maybe an hour at a friend's house, Mm -hmm. and the only thing that I remember from that session is being told that if you can't hear the warning sirens going off in the background, you're playing the game wrong. So in this game, you have a personal boost, which is tied to your health bar, and every time you boost your ship, you lose health. And if you're low, there is this siren that plays in the background, like, constantly. And throughout most of the races, as soon as you hit the second lap, which is when your boosts are enabled for the first time, I would have been hearing the siren, like, 90% of the the way through the track from there on out. It's super stressful. Yeah, Because being low on boost means that if you take damage from another racer or just bounce into the track in an odd angle, you will get wiped out and retired and lose the race. So you want to use most of your booster as fast as possible to be efficient, but you also don't want to die. So you end up having this siren blaring at you nonstop. Yeah, there's also landmines on some of the tracks, which uh, definitely killed me while I was on low health a few times. I don't know if that happened to you or not. Uh, I used them for the speed boost that you get on the first on the first track, but uh, apart from that, it was fine. The landmines give you a speed boost? Yeah, they give you a minor speed boost. It's not really useful once your personal booster becomes online on the second lap onwards, but I ran into a couple on purpose on the first lap. Man, I didn't know that at all. I was just avoiding (laughs) them completely. Yeah, they're things you learn from watching speedruns, right? Watching speedruns? Patrick, that's cheating. Uh, it's not. It's not. I uh, looked at a few speedruns of the game to see how far I had to go, and it turns out I have a very, very long way to go to master F-Zero. And uh, yeah, they were running into the speed line, so what do you know? I mean, I'm being a hypocrite. I looked them up too. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I kind of like about this game is that if you were to add up all the content in the game, there's not heaps of it. But the game does a really good job of stretching that content out for as as much as it can, really. Like, each of these races has four difficulty levels that you can replay and helps with the progression. You'll be playing each of these maps, you know, dozens and dozens of times each, rather than having loads of unique content for the player to explore. And I kind of like this system because it really gives you a sense of 
you know, mastery of going fast and learning each of the tracks, you know, because you're replaying them so often, you learn the corners, you learn what works where, uh, when to use your boosts, what jumps you can take, how to shave seconds off your time. Um, did you feel the same way? Well, I mean, I imagine most racing games don't have much content, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a fundamental thing to the genre. You try, it's like uh, pinball games. It's not about giving you lots of different things to do. It's about having, I guess, very well-designed, detailed tracks, which you then learn to master. So to me, I guess I didn't think this was a good or a bad thing. I just don't know how you do a racing game differently. Like my one point of reference, Need for Speed Underground 2, the content is padded by you constantly unlocking an upgrade and having to drive to a particular location to unlock the upgrade before doing the next race. And I guess removing that seems like a great thing to me, just so you can focus on the gameplay that actually matters instead of busy work. I mean, in Need for Speed Underground 2, 90% of the game time is roaming around the environments listening to Riders on the Storm on repeat, <laughs> Riders right? on the Storm on repeat, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are other soundtracks in that game? I didn't know. Yeah, me neither. Speaking of sound, let's talk about that, because I really like the soundtrack of this game. I think it does a very good job of, you know, matching the pace of the game. Every track is really energetic and upbeat. They usually start off kind of down to earth, but then uh, what I noticed was most of the tracks are actually timed in such a way that once you hit the second lap, it goes into full swing and you have all these instruments coming in and it starts going really crazy. I really loved it. So I don't actually know for sure, but I swear that when I hit the third lap, it was like an additional layer of sound was being added. So I'm not even sure if it, they've just been timed well. It might be that crossing the finish line creates a trigger that adds an additional layer of sound. Yeah, but I, I suspected that, and I tested it myself, and I just sat mm. at the start line with the game paused, and the soundtrack hits each of the spots without me moving. So I suspect that what really happens is it jumps to a particular point in the sound. But maybe they already uh, have yeah. a... They could have a second copy of the... Because I, I did feel that that was possible, so I went and checked. But it does a really good job of, you know, as the game gets more tense, the soundtrack gets more tense as well. Yeah, it's particularly got... as you get that second lap and you finally get your booster, that's, that's when it kicks up a notch. Yeah, were there any that stood out to you in particular? So my favorite track from the whole game was definitely the track that plays on the casino levels. Yeah. It's more jazzy and a little bit more, not laid back, but it's a little bit more relaxed in a game that is constantly blaring noise at you. Just a note on the soundtrack in general, 
I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. I think that it accomplishes what it's trying to do very well, which is to get you hyped up and engaged, but I found it a little too much at times. It, the constant blaring nature of it, the fact that you can't pause for breath at any time. And I felt that that casino track was a little bit of an exception. Yeah, it was also the track that was playing on that particular story mission that you loved so much, isn't that right? Yes, it was. I fell in love with the track from the third Grand Prix when you go to the casino track on that third Grand Prix. Yeah, the one with the splits in the track. Yeah, and that was one of my favorite tracks because it was a bit more more simple and you could go really, really fast on it and get yeah. way ahead of the AI. So it was a bit more of a relaxing experience before I got to half pipe and I uh, died. Was that your favorite track? Um, it was. So that's a really, really interesting question. I don't know if it was the best track, but it was my favorite track because I felt like I achieved a decent mastery of it, I guess. So it's not super creative, unlike a lot of the other tracks. But yeah, if I had to ring one off of the top of my head that I enjoyed playing the most, it was that track. Yeah, so I generally found that the tracks that I initially struggled on became, like, at the time of first playing them, I was telling myself, I hate this so much. Like, I hate this track. I never want to do it again. And now when I think back at them, you know, I eventually mastered those tracks and I love them now. The one I mentioned earlier, Serial Gaps, where you can fall off constantly, I love that track. There is stuff about that track I had no idea about when I first went. There's jumps where you can skip entire sections, places to drift that I didn't realize. Just all that kind of stuff that now, when I came back to it after playing for a while, made me realize, wow, I actually really like this. But my favorite overall track is actually called Ordeal. It's the final track of the Emerald Cup. And it is an ordeal. Is it? Did you did you not like it? I struggled a lot with that one, the final one. There's a lot of these hairpin turns you have to make and tight gaps you need to squeeze through. And I wasn't really using the hairpin turns at that point. I was kind of muddling my way through without them. And that track forced me to learn how to use them. So there's a few ways to turn in this game. The game has buttons bound to the left and right trigger of the controller. On certain ships, because you can, there's a whole bunch of different spaceships that you can buy, and they have different properties and control differently. And on some of them, they kind of drift left when you hold the trigger. On some of them, they kind of turn on a dime when you press them. So is that what you're talking about? Or you can hold both of the buttons at the same time to kind of do a more traditional drift, like in maybe Mario Kart or something. Yeah, that's it exactly. So um, for a regular turn, I use the control stick. For a tight turn, I would press the sidebar and use a control stick. For a very tight turn, I'd press both and do a drift turn. Okay, I found the drift turn usually took corners a little wider, but its advantage was that you don't lose speed while doing it, while the others you kind of do. Uh, oh, well, hold up. Let, let's, because uh, I've experienced this as well, but the racer that I selected and the one that I used for the Grand Prix, I don't know if it was a attribute of that particular racer, but she turned those stop corners really well. I was using a racer called Queen Meteor. I don't know if you're familiar with her at all. No, I didn't use her at all. Um, I, yeah. I only spent a bit of money on unlocking new races because I didn't want to have to grind heaps to then unlock the story as well. The I started off using one of the default races, Pico, 
who his attributes are he has a very strong boost which i really liked because you know i was just constantly on that boost button and his ship is very durable and when i started playing this game i was crashing into walls a lot so i was kind of <laughs> using that as a crutch a bit however his grip on the road is extremely poor and while that allows him to make really quick turns, you can often, when you get up to speed, start sliding about uncontrollably. And then I eventually moved on to using a racer called... It's either Swift Red Gazelle, Swift Gazelle. It's a robot, and he goes very fast, but his turning is very bad. But his, you know, his default speed sits a lot higher than other racers, so... Using drifts correctly, I was somewhat able to mitigate that. However, I had a completely different experience with that level from you because all of my favorite tracks are the ones with heaps of tight turns in them. My favorite thing about Mario Kart is drifting so close to the edge, you're like a millimeter off coming off the track. So those tracks kind of allowed me to leverage my experience in that more than, you know, some of the tracks that were just lots and lots of straight and arrows. You're crazy, man. That's like literally the opposite of me. I, I was going to say the other track I really liked is on the Diamond Cup and it's called Sand Trap or something. And the um, gimmick of this track is that uh, you're generally going along the straight corridors and you need to keep drifting left or right to avoid certain death as you sail off the track. And I really liked that because you could go really, really fast off the boost pads and be boosting and using your reaction speed to just nudge over to avoid sudden death. But yeah, I hated turning. I just wanted straight in narrows and going super speedy all day, every day. Yeah, so the tracks where you just were going straight the whole time, I was like, oh, this is kind of dull. For example, there's a map in the Emerald Cup called Fire Knot, which is essentially, and this is one of the kind of ways that F-Zero plays with gravity, Fire Knot is a giant cylinder, right? It's just one continuous cylinder, and you can travel along any edge of the cylinder without falling off, right? You can hold left and your character will spin and spin and spin around the map. But eventually, at the end of the day, it's just a big straight line. Like, there's nothing... There's some boosters, you know, on opposite sides of the map. So really the only way you can leverage skill on this map is memorizing where the boost pads are. Because, you know, it's big enough that you can't obviously see the whole circumference of the cylinder at the same time. Fire Knot sucks. I just want to put that out there. This, okay. this is one of the straight tracks that I enjoyed. That you didn't enjoy? I hated it. I disliked how you couldn't really see where the boosters were. Yeah, like you said, you kind of stumble into them by dumb luck or you memorize them. And I didn't like how it was difficult to see what part of the track was coming up next. Your view was often obfuscated by the track, you know, by the cylinder blocking your view of what was coming next. So yeah, didn't like that one at all. Yeah, it's very style over substance. I will say I yes. enjoyed I enjoy the music and the the actual environments outside of the track you're racing on are really cool. Like these big lakes of lava and these industrial pillars rising up out of the lava and spewing fire everywhere. It was really cool. I just wish the track wasn't boring. There's another track that takes place in that setting called Undulation. And you know, that map was a lot better for me. Uh, it's just... It's still a lot of straights, but you're going up and down a lot, and there's a bunch of jump pads around the level that, you know, you can get a bit of extra oomph out of them if you play it correctly. The aesthetics of the track 
are to me one of the standout features of this game. Yes. The tracks are all works of art. Like they've all, so much work and care has been put into building these tracks and they all look fantastic. A, a triple plus. I also think that it has a gameplay plus as well because the rapidly changing scenery and the detailed scenery adds as visual cues for what's coming up next. It's not just a bland track. In a way, they're subconscious landmarks for you. And they also add to that sense of speed as it's all zipping past your vision. So yeah, I love the aesthetics. I'm a bit lower on the music, but the general look of the tracks, the tracks are the best characters in this game. Yeah, the tracks look phenomenal. And I think a big thing about this is that because you're going so fast through the tracks, even if the game, you know, ages 10, 20 years, you're not going to notice if there's maybe a dodgy texture here and there on the track because you're speeding past it so fast you can't tell, right? Yeah, so I will say that as good as the tracks look, the dodgy textures definitely stand out when you look at the races. Yeah, the Sorry, character models... The cars or the characters, I think they both look pretty poor and low resolution and honestly not as distinct as I would hope. Yeah, the races and the character models in particular have not aged well. The ships, however, I think, you know, by their nature, ships aren't a very high polygon object. You know, they use a lot of straight panels and that kind of thing. So I think they get away on the modeling side, you know, quite well still. Although, you know, some of the details on the ship are a bit low res these days. Honestly, um, a lot of the ships looked very similar to me. Maybe you're more familiar with the characters. And yes, I could vaguely recognize, oh, that's, that's Black Bull or Black Titan or whoever it is ship. But on the whole, I thought that the ships didn't look nearly as distinct as they could be. Yeah, I think they look fairly distant. You know, Black Bull has this big cockpit on the top of his ship. And yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. One of them actually looks like like an F1 jet with the wings cut off. I thought that was really funny. The final boss of the game has a pretty distinct looking ship as well. But yeah, you know, the tracks are definitely the best parts. Graphically, I think stuff like the menus hold up perfectly fine. But yeah, the character models and the ships are a bit dated now. But it's definitely not a deal breaker as they're such a small part of the game. The menus are a little... Uh, I got a little frustrated at this at first. The whole process of having to um, purchase story missions really annoyed the crap out of me because you have to go through about six different menus in order to unlock a story mission. So it's <laughs> it's unfriendly in that sense, but it turns out you unlock story missions so slowly it matters less than I thought it would. Yeah, absolutely. And then in this game you can buy custom parts and you can actually make your own ship. And I think that if you're spending your credits on prepackaged ships and custom parts and the story missions and all the other stuff, then that could probably get really annoying. But I do like how there's a lot of content there in the shop. Yeah, I could take it to leave it. The whole custom racer thing I didn't really get into because it seemed like so much fiddling around with menus and changing things and testing them. When I could just pick a racer who I knew was a good racer. Did you investigate that whole thing very much? No, I didn't. I spent most of my time in the game in the Grand Prix and the story. Although that's a good point. One of the things I wanted to bring up was that for our format with the show, we have a limited amount of time. And for us, the goals for this podcast were to finish the story 
and to finish the first four out of five Grand Prix because the fifth Grand Prix is actually quite difficult to unlock. You have to finish the other four in Master to do so. And, you know, a racing game like this isn't generally something I would play for long stretches at a time over two weeks. I would play it in short bursts, you know, i play it for a few hours once every few weeks for a number of months until I'd mastered everything. So in that context, I think I would usually engage with content like that a lot more, like the custom ships, but because, you know, because I wanted to focus on the really important stuff, I just kind of, you know, brushed that to the side. Mm, me too, yeah. Alright, so we've been alluding to this a bit throughout the show, but we've kind of been, you know, skirting around this issue as much as we can, because this is going to take quite a bit of time to talk about, and that's the story mode of this game. So before we go on, full spoiler warning ahead, we'll be talking about, you know, everything to do with it, so, you know, maybe you want to skip ahead if that's something you don't want, but the story in this game isn't super important, that's any consolation. The actual cutscenes of the game, Patrick, I found to be very fillery. There wasn't really anything there at all. They go for about 15 seconds each, and they they usually show this really cheesy cutscene of this almost caped crusader-style racer walking through a bar and something crazy happens to him. How did you feel about those? I mean, the story was terrible. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the Grand Prix is a real game and the story mode is some sort of cruel joke played on 13-year-olds when they pick this game up for the first time. If you talk about like the actual cutscenes and what happens in the story... Yeah, yeah. It's just a bunch of random things that happen to justify various racing scenarios. I actually kind of liked the cheesiness of the story. It wasn't as good as the cheesiness from Red Alert 2 when we played it last fortnight, but, you know, there was a couple of scenes that were pretty funny. With Red Alert 2, at least I put a bit more effort into the voice acting and the presentation. I felt this was very lazy. The voice acting is terrible. What they're saying doesn't match the characters' faces. I don't even know if their lips are moving. And the general events of the story are very Sunday morning cartoony in that they don't really make much sense and you don't really expect them to make much sense. It's just a bunch of excuses to uh, string these story challenges together. Yeah, the villain is called Black Shadow and he's this huge hulking man in black tight lycra with these huge devil horns looking very menacing and, you know, it's very cheesy and I kind of appreciate that. But at the end of the day, you're vanquishing darkness by winning races, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If not for the podcast, I would have skipped every single story scene. Like, they're just, it's got zero value to me. Yeah, so they're quite mediocre, honestly. However, to me, what was not mediocre, and which is one of the strong points of the game, is the actual story missions themselves. Oh, go fuck yourself. You're so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're so wrong. Are you kidding me right now? Um, so How do you can... justify this? The story missions in this game are incredibly difficult, right? To beat a story mission, you know, on a successful attempt, you'll, you know, only take maybe two to three minutes to finish the track, and that's it. And there's only nine of them, so that's like 18 minutes, right? You could beat this whole game in less than half an hour. No. I would say that I would average maybe an hour and a half to two hours on each story mission just because they're so damn difficult. Um, And I know 
that at least one of them took me maybe four to five hours just to beat this damn two-minute segment. Was this the same for you, Pat? So let's do a rundown, because I finished six of the nine story missions. When it got to the seventh mission, I threw in the towel and said, enough is enough. I can't be playing this for the next four hours in order to complete it for the podcast. So I'll tell you my experiences with the first six missions. Mission number one, you collect capsules that are lying on the ground around a pretty small track. It's pretty easy. This is very reasonable. This was a good introduction that was a decent challenge that I didn't go on my first go. Mission number two is very, very hard. <laughs> Mission number two is where this game starts getting impossible. You need to race against someone on a track where there are bottlers falling everywhere, and you need to come first in the race. You, just, you don't just need to survive the boulders, you need to come first. What I didn't realize is, is that the AI you're racing against is a cheater. And every time you get ahead of him, he boosts ahead of you. So you need to use a particularly funky strategy of not boosting at all until the last 500 meters in order to win. Yeah, that's exactly how I beat it. But honestly, that's how the races react in the Grand Prix as well. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Um, I did so... notice that, but I could get far enough ahead of them that it wasn't an issue. He will literally rubber band you if you use all your boost early and you'll lose. Yeah, when he absolutely realistically, will. You should be able to use your boost anywhere on that track to maximize your speed. Yeah, he he basically has infinite boosts, and he'll just he'll just scumbag you until the end of time, until you work out that you have to be you know you got to beat him at his own game, right, to beat this. Although because the races in the Grand Prix also react similarly, it kind of feeds into my general philosophy about the story mode is that. Every single one of the story missions is designed to teach you something new about the game. Not through holding your hand, but by drilling it into you like a sergeant at a military training facility. You're going but to what be it's do- teaching you is completely the wrong thing. I mean, I just in the Grand Prix, you want to use your boosters frequently and early in order to re- and recharge them later. You don't want to hold on to your boost for an entire track and use it at the end. If it's trying to teach you a lesson, it's teaching you the completely wrong one. No, I wouldn't say that. Maybe that mission's a bad example. Generally, if you're coming, you know, first in, you know, the higher difficulties, the Grand Prix, you're going to get boosted in front of when you're winning quite a lot. So I actually employed that a fair bit later on on the difficulties. It wasn't very useful and standard. Mission 3 of the story, however, introduces you to jump pads, which, you know, when you hit them while you're racing over them, shoot you up into the air, and often allow you to bypass, you know, little segments of the track and gain an advantage on your opponent. And when I was doing the Grand Prix, I often found these on the tracks, and then upon touching these jump pads would just die instantly. And it wasn't until I did Mission 3 that requires you to use a lot of jump pads to cut a lot of corners to beat the AI that I started using them to their full potential. And I felt this way about almost every story mission. And going back to what I was saying about the metagame loop of going from the Grand Prix to the story missions, I found that in my play experience, every single time I finished a story mission, I came back to the Grand Prix with a new perspective and was able to, you know, shave that much extra time off each track, you know, with these little things that I learned from the story. So that mission, mission three, 
took me, you know, two to three hours to beat because each jump pad actually has a lot of nuance to it, right? It's not Mario Kart where you hit it and you just, you go up and down. In F-Zero, the angle of your ship in midair matters a lot, and I just did not grasp that for the first, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of playing those tracks. And not only that, but the angle at which you land your ship matters a whole lot too. You can gain or lose a lot of speed based on that angle. So, you know, so you'll hit the you'll hit the ramp and you'll fly up into the air, and then you immediately want to angle your nose down to the ground to boost downwards with the force of gravity, which can gain you a significant amount of speed. But if you then just hurtle nose first into the ground, you're gonna you're gonna lose it all and probably be slower than what you started at. So I hadn't realized that during my experience in the Grand Prix, which was why it was causing me to die. But after finishing this mission, after being forced to replay this mission over and over and over and over again, I had worked this skill into my muscle memory, and it stuck. I was able to hit those jump pads and use them to their fullest potential every time I saw them after I did that mission. So I basically think that that's absurd. And I think that that's just because I had a very different play experience too. Because when I got to the third mission, I lost and I lost and I lost. And I realized that if I didn't do it literally perfectly or near perfectly, because obviously uh, I'm never going to reach perfection. If I didn't do it near perfectly, that I'd lose the race. And so I just stopped playing it. I stopped doing that race because demanding perfection on mission three in this incredibly difficult race, to me was fundamentally unreasonable. So I stopped playing the story mode. I went back to the Grand Prix. I got really good at you know everything else by doing the Grand Prix races. And then I finally applied what I'd learned in the Grand Prix to the third story mission. Because I think that the Grand Prix does a much better job teaching you the skills by it being a far more forgiving experience. The third mission demands you to do it perfectly. It would be like having you fight an incredibly tough boss in Dark Souls incredibly early on, but you die in one hit. And that was my experience with the third race of, uh, of FX0. I think you're thinking about it the wrong way, because to me... I don't think of the story as one continuous thing. I think of the story as being split up by long segments of time spent in the Grand Prix, essentially. To me, these story segments are almost like the boss fights of the game. Like, you play you play the level missions for a while, and then you get to this boss fight that's much harder than the rest of the content that's thrown at you, and you need to master them. And generally, to me, when you want to master a skill, you narrow your focus, right? If if I had to master my usage of the jump pads in the Grand Prix, I would be there for months because there are so few opportunities on each track to do so where these story missions, like, they really narrow their focus on this one specific skill and force you to get good at doing it, which I really appreciated. And honestly, I didn't find them too frustrating myself, you know, once I understood that it was the kind of game that was going to make me strive for that kind of perfection, I just kind of fell into a rhythm of playing through the level and then hitting retry when I knew I was going to fail, and then just doing that over and over and over again until I felt, you know, I felt really satisfied once I finally beat these damn things. But I think the nature of the racing game's difficulty 
is that the difficulty isn't mainly tied to executing a particular, I guess, type of skill like jump pads. For me, the difficulty was in executing a specific jump pad. I think the way you improve the most at uh, F0GX is through memorization of specific tracks. It's not in learning how to use a particular skill. I got good at tracks by doing tracks over and over again, knowing where all the boost locations were, knowing where the hairpin turns were coming up next. That was how I improved. I didn't get better at using jump pads because of that level. I got better at that level by doing that level over and over. Yeah, if we fast forward to Mission 6, Mission 6, the story setup is like there's a bomb strapped to the top of your vehicle. It's almost like, it's that movie Speed, I think it is. Uh, It's called The Bus That Wouldn't Slow Down. The Bus That Wouldn't Slow Down. Um, It's a Simpsons reference, don't worry about it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Essentially, you have to go fast, which, you know, you were already planning on doing, but you have to maintain that speed. You can't go below 700 kilometers an hour or your ship will explode instantly. And to top it off, it drops you into this track that looks like a child took a crayon and scribbled on, you know, a piece of paper. It's just got so many tight turns and it's it's like Toad's Turnpike from Mario Kart. It's filled with traffic as well. You have to weave between cars while doing these hairpin turns, and it's very easy to lose a lot of speed. And this was the mission that took me the longest out of any in the game. I spent two full separate play sessions trying to beat this damn thing, but by the end I was so much better at doing tight turns that the... You know, I had finished this before I'd attempted the Diamond Grand Prix, So upon doing that, I noticed like almost immediately that my ability to make sharp turns was so much more improved because I spent hours on this. See, once again, for me, it was the the reverse. I found most of that mission pretty straightforward, except for like the last 15%, which I found frustrating for my own reasons, because it felt like 85% of the track was a gimme wasting my time. And then I'd be deeply challenged in that last final stretch. It's not like I never died in the early parts of the level, but it felt like the very last bit was dramatically more difficult. But most of the turns weren't too difficult. They were all very doable. Yeah, I think for me, Captain Falcon's ship, which you're forced to use during the story modes, is absolute garbage compared to the ships that I was using in the Grand Prix. And I think that Mm -hmm. was quite difficult for me. Some of the middle sections of the story aren't as hard as the others. There's one where you go, you basically race in a straight line and you have to move, adjust left or right slightly to get through narrow gaps. I beat that in maybe three tries. Um, That was a good mission. That was one of the few, one of the two good missions. Patrick liked it because it was easy. (laughs) It it actually took me probably about 15 to 20 tries, but my favourite thing about that mission was that if you accidentally hit a wall, there was enough time to recover and still exit out of the um, exit out of the level. Most other levels, particularly Mission Three, you have zero margin for error, and and that was that really ticked the crap out of me. That zero margin for error in the story mission, the third story mission is ridiculous. To me, it turns the story into this gimmick, gimmicky thing on the side. And the real game is the Grand Prix. And, and that's how I view the game. I, I think you have the Grand Prix, which is the game. 
And then there's some gimmicky challenges on the side that you can do if you so choose. So I wouldn't say you require absolute perfection on the story. Once you beat the story, you actually unlock the hard version of the story, which you might not know about. No, uh, I do know. Yeah, yeah okay. But th- those require perfection. I think that the challenge offered by the story was more than I was anticipating and probably more for the average, more than the average player is going to be comfortable with. But for me personally, I really liked the um, drill sergeant repetition of the story mode. There is something to be admired for the fact that the game refuses to go easy on you. I guess the difference for me is that when I finish a particular tough challenge in another game, I feel a sense of euphoria. When I finished a challenge in F-Zero, I felt a sense of relief. I was like, thank God that's over. Thank God those endless hours I spent perfecting this bloody drill are done. I think there's joy to be had in speedruns. And honestly, F-Zero GX as a racing game is basically a series of speedruns, but it's not the sort of fun or challenge I relish doing endlessly over and over again. Yeah, I I definitely got that sense that you're describing um, finishing. You know, it's a mix of both, right? It's relief and satisfaction and pride uh, that you're able to overcome these challenges. And I feel that on the majority of these, if I were to do them again right now, I'd be, you know, I don't think I'd beat them first try, but I'd be much better at them, you know, than previously. Those skills really stuck with me. But I guess overall, you do want to know before jumping into this game that it's the kind of story mode that's going to punish you and punish you and punish you. And if you're not the kind of person who enjoys that kind of thing, then I would definitely recommend, you know, just sticking with the Grand Prix, which I think are, you know, really fun on their own. But story mode, definitely not for everybody, as we've discussed. Hmm. So have we discussed, uh, we have pretty mixed feelings on the story mode, but I was wondering overall, were you having fun playing this game? Like when you weren't forcing yourself to do the story missions, were you actually enjoying the races themselves? It's hard. Very hard to say. Um, I think that I got satisfaction from the mastery of a track. Was that fun? I don't believe so. This isn't the kind of game that I would play if not for the podcast. It's about mastering something very specific and doing it extremely well. And the truth is, when it comes to games like that, I'd rather play a multiplayer version of them, like, for example, Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike is a very, on the face of it, simplistic game. It's very arcade-like. But the thing about that game is that you, you're kind of like comparing yourself to your peers, to other players. And you're improving by playing better against those players. And I find that a lot more fun. With F-Zero GX, it's just you stuck in a room with a clock trying to go ever faster and faster and faster. And while it was fun to experience each new track for the first time, if I had to keep going back to it and completing something that I'd always finished, I, I wasn't enjoying that. The reason I felt relief when I finished each Grand Prix was because I didn't have to visit it again. Wow, okay, that's significantly different to me because I love this game, right? In other racing games, I'll sit on one track in time trial mode for like two or three hours at a time trying to shave milliseconds off my time by figuring out which corners to turn 
which not to do, mastering how close I can get to walls and tight turns, um, using boosts at the right time, that kind of thing. And this game sometimes on the right tracks has that in spades. You can spend hours on these tracks learning them back to front, and I really loved that. One of the things that kind of detracted from my experience was how many simple tracks there are. There are way too many tracks in this game for my taste that are just lots and lots of narrow straight lines, and I find that really boring. But all of the twisty, whiny tracks are absolutely a joy to play to me. When you're going, you know, a million miles an hour with the music blasting and, you know, the sirens blaring, I cannot express how much I love just winning a track by the skin of my teeth when, you know, you've got five people ahead of you and there's like a hundred meters left of the track and you're mashing on that boost button trying to get in front. When you do succeed in those times and you're like half a meter in front of your competition, it feels excellent. I love those experiences. I love going super fast. I love finding new ways to get through the track faster. I love how many options there are for ships that control completely differently, so you can absolutely find ones to fall in love with. I think this game does what it sets out to do extremely well, because I, you know, I'm quite masochistic in games that I enjoy, and this absolutely digs deep into that for me. I want to emphasize that I don't think this is a bad game. In fact, I actually think it's a very good game, like you said, in achieving what it's trying to achieve. It's just that, being completely honest, that isn't what I'm looking for in a single-player experience. I don't want to be punished that badly. If I want to improve at something, I'd rather be competing against another player than competing against the racetrack and the clock, and that's all there is to it. I didn't have anywhere near as much fun playing this game even though there was satis- some amount of satisfaction to be derived from, you know, finishing a track very quickly. Okay, so I guess because you feel, like, you feel that the game is good overall, so would you still say that, you know, there's an audience out there that you would recommend this game to? I think when it comes to recommendations, in the past few episodes... I've maybe not been completely as honest as I should be. And in particular, I think that was true with the Banjo-Kazooie episode. And I think the question I need to be asking myself is, would I, if not for the podcast, would I play this game if given the opportunity? And I think with Banjo-Kazooie, the answer is no. And I think with F-Zero-GX, the answer is no as well. For me personally, this game was was not fun and I wouldn't have continued playing if I didn't have to finish it for the podcast all that so I can't in good stead recommend it that being said I agree with what you said that there is an audience for this sort of game and this sort of experience I loved watching the speedruns of this game it's insane what people have done with the snaking uh, the ability to snake you know basically physics exploits to create incredible shortcuts and finish times but when all you've got is the anvil of progress because that's what this game is it's you just smashing away shaving seconds off the clock time after time after time until you achieve something close to perfection and even then you're not done yet because you can still shave more time off that clock it's just not something that i that i had that much fun with so unfortunately it's a thumbs down even though I, I can see how this game would appeal to some people. 
Right, so yeah, for me, obviously, I, I adore this game. I will probably come back to it every few weeks and play a bit of it, you know, one or two races on my computer. I really enjoy it. I think that, as you said, it's definitely for those kinds of people who like, you know, smashing away at that anvil. If you're the kind of person that plays games that have these boss fights that take you, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tries to get down, but you really enjoy that kind of brute force learning approach to your games, then you'll love this. That said, if you're just the kind of person that likes a casual kart race or like maybe stick with Mario Kart, it's very difficult, very punishing, but that challenges really the entire appeal of the game, I think. Uh, I know I think... we're in um, final impressions, but I just wanted to quickly talk about something you brought up there about fighting a boss lots and lots of times. Yeah. Because I think there is something fundamentally different between the difficulty of a racing game and the difficulty of a game like Dark Souls or Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. And I love Dark Souls and I'm enjoying Sekiro so far, which is that I think that the experience of Dark Souls and trying to beat a boss is a far more dynamic experience. You're learning attack patterns that can come at you in various different orders and learning timings and things like that, and they're kind of strung together in a ham-fisted way. So the way you actually approach a boss fight in that game is you kind of get the hang of them and you kind of know their attack patterns. I think that the difficulty of F-Zero GX is closer to a speed run. It's about doing things precisely in a particular order perfectly. And I think that that does constitute a different sort of difficulty experience because I still do like difficult games. It's just the way the difficulty is set up in this game is not ideal. Okay, see, to me, it's likely identical, right? In my head, when I think about a track's layout, I cannot put it together for the life of me. I could not imagine the track start to finish, but I can remember specific turns and jumps and that kind of thing. They're just all out of order in my mind. So to me, it's a, it's classic pattern recognition, right? You remember this boss move and you remember how to get out of the way of that attack, or you remember this bit of a track and you remember... You know, what exact combination of drift presses to get around it in the tightest possible way. And to me, when I approach these levels, it's just recognizing the pattern and recalling this muscle memory that I've hammered into myself. And, you know, it, to me, it's very similar. And yeah, perhaps perhaps it's not as different as I think. But I guess a point of comparison would be, say, a Dark Souls speed run. They talk about things like cycles, like we can beat this boss on this cycle by doing this much damage in this order, and then we can stop him before he launches into this attack or this phase. And that's what FX0 reminds me of, rather than the way I play the games where I'm constantly looking for openings almost randomly. I'm, I'm, playing, uh, I'm playing it a lot more ham-fisted and improvisationally, whereas FX0, I'm doing it through memorization. Yeah, um, to me, both is memorization, right? Like, you're just hammering things into muscle memory until you can do it without thinking. Yeah, I kind of get what you're getting at, and muscle memory is definitely part of the Dark Souls experience, but I still think it's different. But but that's okay. We'll, we'll just agree to disagree. Returning to the summary, can you succinctly tell everyone what you think about F-Zero GX? Yeah, I love this game. I love the gameplay. 
I think it looks incredible even to this day. This is a, what, like a 15-year-old game? And, you know, apart from some of the character models, I think the environments and the tracks still look phenomenal. It sounds great, and I would absolutely recommend this to people. Alrighty then, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us once again. You can find our podcast at www.rspodcast.net, which also features articles pertaining to all the games that we've played thus far. We'd also like to thank everyone who has followed us on Twitter thus far. Our handle is at RetPodcast. That's at R-E-T Podcast if you'd like to follow us for more news. Yeah, we're just getting started. So, you know, any followers we can get, we have a small handful. We really appreciate all of them. And, you know, any more, really appreciated. So as for next fortnight, Patrick is going to be choosing the next game and he will be very glad to be getting away from this excellent game. So Patrick, what game do you have in store for us next? Well, thank God I'm picking the game again this week because we're finally back to the fortnightly cycle where I choose the good game. And the classic we're going with this time is a game called Ape Escape. It's a game where you have to capture monkeys. So uh, James will be right at home. Yeah, I love capturing Patrick's. <laughs> All right, everyone, <laughs> until next fortnight where we'll be playing Ape Escape. Have a good one. Adios. See ya. See ya.